to introduce our guest speaker who's here with us this morning. But before I do that, today is Sanctity of Life Sunday, and Steve Ruas was just reminding me of the announcement. If you look in your announcements for the Mercy Crisis Pregnancy Center donation table, uh, that'll be next Sunday. I want to draw your attention to that. Uh, this Sunday, uh, we have a table in the back for a ministry called Covenant Mercies that uh, Doug Hayes, our guest speaker, uh, leads, and I'm really looking forward to hearing from Doug um, in our partnership with Sovereign Grace Churches all throughout the nation and throughout, around the world. We love the just the ministry of Covenant Mercies. It's a wonderful pro-life ministry that cares for widows and orphans, primarily in Africa, and many of you have already participated in that, and that is just a great joy and a delight to be part of. And I'm so thankful for uh, Steve and Marie Ruas and their work here as members of our local church with the Mercy Crisis Pregnancy Center. If I could draw your attention to that announcement, the details in that announcement will be pertinent for next Sunday. So if you can just look in your announcements for that. Steve asked me to draw your attention to the donation table for next week. My friend Doug Hayes is here this morning to preach God's word to you. I think you're just going to love just his heart. Uh, From the time Doug was uh, first saved, the Holy Spirit put a desire on his heart, a real burden, just for issues surrounding mercy and justice and his heart to care for prisoners, his heart to care for the homeless, his heart to care for widows and orphans. It's just been something that's been a real work of the Lord in his life. And I was telling him before the service just how proud I am of him as a friend for the way he travels around the world to make sure that widows and orphans are being cared for through our child sponsorship program with Covenant Mercies and many uh, children are being cared for. So many people in our church have adopted and uh, have have given care to foster children. I, church, you you are amazing <laughs> with your heart that is so pro life, so desiring to just be a blessing to the unborn and to the born. And uh, Ben John and I just love you, and uh, we're so thankful for you. And and when when we get an opportunity to get dug in. It's just an opportunity for us to just look at God's heart for those who are in need and for us to just be moved by just the effects of the fall around the world and to to ask ourselves, what can we do, Lord? What can we do to be a blessing? And um, Doug is celebrating his 25th year anniversary to his wife, Rachel, coming up this year. He's got three daughters. His oldest was married. His, his, young, uh, his middle daughter was just recently engaged, and his youngest daughter's 18. And uh, just, uh, it's wonderful just to watch the faithfulness of God in your family, but also just in covenant mercy. So, Doug, we're really excited to hear from you today. Why don't you come forward and bring God's word to us? And can we thank God for our friend Doug Hayes? Oh, thank you, CB, and good morning. It's great to be with you all again. Uh, if you would turn in your Bibles to Proverbs chapter 14, 
Uh, and while you're doing that, let me just bring you uh, greetings from Covenant Fellowship, your brothers and sisters there. We love you. We thank God for you. My goodness, CB, what a what an introduction with um, you know chock full of encouragement and bio that's uh, so meaningful to me. Um, you are a great example to us as well. I just love seeing uh, this church flourishing here, hearing about your your mission desires and your church planting and Mario in, in Croatia. It's so exciting. Thank you for, for your example and your leadership in that as well. Um, it's, it's a blessing for me to be with you uh, on Sanctity of Human Life Sunday and uh, to share with you both from God's Word and also an update on Covenant Mercies. As, uh, as CB just described, um, we are serving in partnership with indigenous churches in, in uh, a few different countries in Africa. We're working in Uganda, Zambia, and Ethiopia. And through uh, our partnerships there and through so many people, including many people here, sponsoring children, we now have over 1,200 sponsored children in our, in our orphan sponsorship program in those three countries. It's, it's just been amazing to see uh, the Lord's work in their lives. And again, I look forward to, to telling you more about that later. Well, for our message this morning, uh, you know, when I have an opportunity to uh, update churches that are partnering with us through Covenant Mercies, I love to to uh, save time at the end for that update, but I always love to begin in God's Word as well, because God's Word is where we find our motivation for these things. This is, this is where our desire springs forth from to serve the orphan and the widow in their affliction. This is where our desire springs forth from to stand for the unborn child, to stand not only against abortion, but also in favor of coming alongside those mothers uh, who may have to raise a, har- a, a, a child through great hardship, maybe extended families or, or adoptive families who are raising a child uh, because the circumstances of that pregnancy are not ideal. Uh, one of, the, one of the, the most tragic and sobering um, arguments that many pro-abortion people will make for abortion is, well, the, the mother is poor. She won't be able to care for that child. Um, and, and therefore... Abortion on demand needs to be made accessible to her. And this is something, by the way, this is a mindset that we've essentially adopted in the U.S. and in the Western world that, that we're now attempting to export to the developing world uh, as a solution for the poverty that, uh, that, that characterizes so much of that part of the world. Uh, that, that's, that's not only tragic and sad, that's a frightening logic that as a solution to poverty, uh, those who may be born into poverty should be eliminated. But that's, that's the mentality that we are working against in our fight against abortion. But it's also a wonderful opportunity for us as God's people to come alongside those mothers, to come alongside those families and to assist to, to, in, in God's love to assist them in raising those children. So that's what we do in Covenant Mercies. And the, the, um, the overarching theme, uh, whether we're talking about standing for the unborn child who's threatened by abortion or whether we're talking about coming alongside that family that's trying to raise a child in extreme poverty, 
the reason that we do that is because each of those individuals, that unborn child, that child growing up in poverty, is made in the image and likeness of God. And uh, I was excited this past year, this past fall, at Covenant Fellowship, we did a series on the image of God and just various implications of, of the fact that we are all made in the image and likeness of God. And so our senior pastor, Jared, asked me, would you have vision to fit Covenant Mercy Sunday, just my opportunity to preach to the church and bring them a big update on Covenant Mercies? Would you fit Covenant Mercy Sunday into that series? Well, I was eager to do that. I was so thrilled to be asked because it's a, it's a fitting theme for us in Covenant Mercies, and it's something that I've thought about, frankly, a lot through the years as I've traveled back and forth. Uh, many of you know I, I've been traveling back and forth between here and Africa for about 14 years now, uh, ever since we established this ministry. But I've spent a lot of time there, and I've spent a lot of time reflecting on this theme of the image of God and its implications during my visits there. You know, when I first began traveling to Africa, I sensed almost immediately a dissonance in my soul that I couldn't shake. And I wasn't quite sure how to put my finger on it at first, but over time, it became clear to me what it was. See, in my life up until that time, all the stories that I had heard or read, all the the images that I had seen from the continent of Africa had trained me, had had conditioned me to view this continent and its people almost exclusively through the lens of calamity. Famine, starvation, disease, poverty, war. These were the themes that I had pieced together to to form my view of Africa. But when my feet actually hit the ground there, my experience clashed radically with, with all of my preconceptions. Encounters with a wide variety of African people left me unable to ignore the pervasive poverty that that they do coexist with, and yet far more conscious, far more conscious of their beauty, of their dignity, of their generous hospitality, in many cases of their joy in the midst of profound hardship. Uh, Extreme poverty is an assault on human dignity, but at the end of the day, it is no match for it. And the reason for that is clear. Human dignity is irrepressible because every human being is made in the image and likeness of God. And so we're going to reflect this morning on the image of God and the poor. And when I say the poor, include in that the unborn child, include in that everyone who is weak and oppressed and powerless and threatened by those with power. And we're going to begin in Proverbs chapter 14 and verse 31 in order to do that. So if you're with me in Proverbs 14, let's read just verse 31. Whoever oppresses a poor man insults his maker, but he who is generous to the needy honors him. May the Lord bless the preaching of his word. Now the book of Proverbs uh, was written at least in part Uh, As the NIV puts it, for receiving instruction in prudent behavior, doing what is right and just and fair. And it's striking how frequently this book of wise sayings uh, addresses this issue, this issue of of doing what is right and just and fair. Although, if, if we're familiar with the Old Testament, that really won't surprise us. This is a major theme 
in the law. This is a major theme in the prophets, so it's really no surprise that it would be a prevalent theme in the wisdom literature as well. But when we arrive at our main text for this morning, we get some insight, just a little window into why the Lord takes this issue so seriously, why he comes back to it so frequently. And it's because the poor, just like the rich, the weak, just like the strong, are made in the image and likeness of God. And the Lord calls us to see beyond that outer packaging and treat everyone, irrespective of their status, irrespective of their stage of development, with the honor and dignity accorded to them as bearers of His image. And so I just want to make three brief observations from this text this morning before I bring you an update on covenant mercies. Three, actually one observation and two implicit commands that come forth to us from this text. And the observation is this. The Lord is watching how we treat his image bearers and he takes it personally. Whoever oppresses a poor man insults his maker. Now, we need to take note of the reasoning here. Why is it wrong? Why is it wrong to oppress a poor man? Is it wrong because it's unkind? Is it wrong because uh, it hurts our fellow man? Is it wrong because it insults man? Because it breaks the accepted rules of our, our social contract? Or because it unfairly advantages one to the detriment of the other? Well, yes, it's wrong for all of those reasons. But that's not what's cited here All of those things are reasons that it's wrong to oppress the poor, but the reason the Lord gives us here in this verse isn't horizontal at all. It isn't between us and our fellow man. It's vertical. It's between us and God. We are not to oppress a poor man because God himself takes it as a personal affront. Mistreat God's image bearer and you've got a problem with your maker. The Lord says, you haven't insulted him, you've insulted me. And let's be honest, this is the real game changer, isn't it? Because if I'm powerful and you're powerless, I can can persecute you, I can take advantage of you, and not fear at all what the repercussions of that will be, because you, by virtue of your powerlessness, can't do anything about it. But, if by oppressing you, I awaken I awaken the response of an all-powerful creator who doesn't take the abuse of his image lightly. Now, I've got a problem. Now, I can't just abuse my powerful position with impunity. And it's, it's astonishing, really, that the God of the universe, this God that we've been singing about this morning, you notice the theme of the greatness of God in our worship songs this morning. This great God would pay attention, would take up the cause of the powerless in this way. It's astonishing. I don't think it astonishes us us enough, um, and mainly that's because we've lost touch with how revolutionary that idea really is. Uh, You know, we simply take it for granted. Of course, everyone knows it's a good thing for the strong to protect the weak, right? We all know that. Of course, that would be God's posture. Well, in reality, the only reason we take that for granted, the only reason that seems so normal to us is because of our familiarity with the God of the Bible. And even even because of the ways that our society's norms have been shaped and influenced by these biblical values. 
In fact, right up to the launch of the first century church, the Greco-Roman society that that church grew up in uh, did not accept these values. They did not accept these the, the, the value that the strong should take care of the poor and the weak. Aristotle believed, Aristotle lived about three centuries before Christ. He believed, along with other philosophers of his day, that a person's dignity was bound up in their capacity to, to perform certain useful functions. And in particular for them, useful functions would have been rational thought. And then this, this, uh, this philosophy, as you can imagine, justified all kinds of societal practices like slavery, like mistreatment of the poor, like abandonment of, of sick and weak children to, by the garbage dump to fend for themselves. Folks, it was the early Christians who rescued those children and cared for them. Why? Why did they do that? Why did they see the need to do that against the culture that they were a part of? Because they knew their dignity wasn't grounded in whatever useful functions they could perform. They knew these children were created lovingly by a loving God, therefore deserving the respect and dignity inherent to everyone who bears his image. See, that kind of thinking, which seems so normal to us today, was completely radical, completely countercultural at the time. That's why the early Christians turned the world upside down. And listen to these words from Tim Keller uh, describing the uniqueness of the Judeo-Christian view uh, up toward the weak and needy, especially as it relates to God's posture toward them uh, in the pre-Christian world. He says this, It's hard for us to understand how revolutionary this was in the ancient world. Sri Lankan scholar Vinoth Ramachandra calls this scandalous justice. He writes that in virtually all the ancient cultures of the world, the power of the gods was channeled through the identif- and identified with the elites of the society, the kings, the priests, the military captains, not the outcasts. To oppose the leaders of society then was to oppose the gods. But here, in Israel's rival vision, it's not the high-ranking males, but the orphan, the widow, and the stranger with whom Yahweh takes his stand. His power is exercised in history for their empowerment. Brothers and sisters, let us not take this revolutionary truth, this rival vision for granted. The God of the universe, the one who created and sustains all things, that great God we were singing about this morning, identifies himself not with the rich and powerful, but with the weak and with the oppressed. Father of the fatherless and a defender of widows is God in his holy habitation. Psalm 68. He raises the poor from the dust and lifts the needy from the ash heap to make them sit with princes. Psalm 113. This is how God reveals himself again and again in scripture. And he would have us examine how we posture ourselves toward the poor and the powerless. And he doesn't want us to just examine that. He wants to remind us that he, as the one who created them in his image and likeness, takes their treatment personally. There may be gradations in class. There may be gradations in social status and standard living. standard of living. There may be gradations in age and stage of development physiologically. But there are no gradations in the image of God. 
Whatever differences we may point to, we are all fundamentally equal as image bearers of our Creator. And this has tremendous implications, which we'll talk about in the next two points, a couple of implicit commands that come from this verse. Uh, The first implicit command is a negative command. Don't insult God by mistreating the poor. See, the poor of the ancient world were vulnerable to oppression in many ways, and in an agrarian society, uh, much of this had to do with land rights. Proverbs 23.10 is an example of some of the injustice they were exposed to. Do not remove, do not move an ancient landmark or enter the fields of the fatherless, for their Redeemer is strong. You hear that? God's desire to stand with them. Their Redeemer is strong, and He will plead their cause against you. Now, this may sound like an ancient form of oppression that isn't so relevant today. I'm, I'm not going to have time to make a lot of connections. To, we can use that principle and even in our own society make connections to that. But let me tell you, this is, uh, this is a form of oppression that children in our sponsorship program are vulnerable to. Uh, there have been times where we have needed to stand in the gap to protect the land inheritance rights of some of our sponsored children because their parents had died and others in the community were trying to take advantage of them. Uh, the God of the universe is taking up their cause and calling his people to take up their cause. Uh, the girls in our program are particularly vulnerable. By the way, most of the um, children in our program live within their extended families. They're uh, fatherless children. Sometimes the mother is still alive. Other times they're living with grandparents or an aunt or an uncle. Um, they're, they're taken in by the family, but the family has great needs. And the girls in our program are, are particularly vulnerable as they reach adolescence uh, to being oppressed by older men. Uh, men who would take advantage of them sexually for a bottle of soda, uh, some small treat to convince them to give themselves away. Or older men who would lure young girls of 13 or 14 into early marriage as a so-called way out of their predicament. Now think about these young girls with no fathers. No father to stand in the gap and protect them. Uh, the Lord is calling. The Lord is their protector and he's calling us as his people to be his hands and feet in that to protect them from this form of oppression. We don't have any programs in, in Covenant Mercies that directly address uh, human trafficking or sex trafficking. We, we don't have those programs. We have, there's some wonderful ministries that address that directly. But I can tell you without a shred of doubt in my mind that by sponsoring children, our sponsors are preventing some of our children from falling into those traps. These are the children who would be vulnerable to that. Uh, Later, I'm going to show you a a brief video of a young lady named Masai, a beautiful young lady from our Ethiopia program. She's a graduate of that program now. Um, Absolutely lovely girl, had some difficulty with her mother and ran away from home, lived on the street for a time as a teen. I, I shudder to think of what could have happened to her. Because I know the kind of predators that lie in wait. They're lie in wait for young, desperate girls just like her. And apart from the care that our sponsors provide, many of our children would be in that vulnerable position. Now, just to, I don't want to give you a spoiler, but thanks be to God, 
Messiah is doing great. Uh, she had a sponsor who persevered with her. She had a family who persevered with her. You'll hear the happy ending of that story later. But listen, it, it's obvious to us. I don't think any of us who are believers would, would not say that it's obvious that active participation in these deeds of darkness, these forms of oppression that I'm describing, is wrong, terribly wrong. But even if we just look the other way, even if we just say, well, that's really sad. That's really sad, but this is, a, this is a big world. There are millions of children in the world. There's nothing I can do about that. If that's our attitude, we mistreat them. We insult their maker by taking attitudes like that. Now, Proverbs also teaches us that there are other ways we can insult our maker in relation to the poor. Proverbs 17.5 says, whoever mocks the poor insults his maker. Now again, at first glance, we might look at this and consider ourselves innocent. Okay, good. Thank you, Lord. This week I haven't moved any ancient land boundaries and I haven't mocked or made fun of a poor person. But again, I, I think we would be wise to think more deeply and broadly about this concept of mockery as well. We're in danger of mocking the poor by looking down on them, by, by subtly, maybe even unconsciously believing that they're not capable of flourishing without our aid, and so we do everything for them, or they're not capable of flourishing even with our aid, so we dismiss them. Why, why even invest in that? Why, why even bother? It won't make any difference anyway. Friends, if, if we view them as people made in the image and likeness of God with all of its glorious implications, it will be impossible for us to hold on to attitudes like that. You know, walking through an urban slum in Addis Ababa, Ethiopia, uh, it's impossible to overlook the indignities that are just part of life there. I've visited families, um, I, I regularly visit families uh, in neighborhoods where it's difficult to distinguish between the stench coming from the garbage dump that the neighborhood is, is right next door to and the stench from the raw st- streams of sewage that you must cross over in order to enter the households. And these households, these homes, are often made of cardboard, they're made of, of grain bags, there may be some... It really, if you're blessed, maybe some pieces, some scraps of corrugated metal that you've been able to piece together and form into a structure that you can call home. Living in a neighborhood like this, putting on clothing that many times is little more than rags, these things are an assault on human dignity. But in those same homes, I have observed some of the most beautiful expressions of human dignity. I have experienced the most meaningful hospitality of my lifetime in homes just like that. From people showing no sense of shame, no sense of embarrassment over their humble dwellings, but simply wanting to give to me from whatever they have. It's one of the most humbling experiences 
of my life. It usually begins with a seat. So, uh, you, you know, a seat in the shade. If there's room inside, a seat inside. In Ethiopia, it always goes from there to coffee. And so uh, they're, they're a coffee culture and they're coffee-loving people. They love to serve coffee. So uh, for me, you know, if I'm visiting, usually on Saturdays when I'm in any of our program areas, we just go out and visit as many kids in their homes as possible. And, uh, you know, I'll be, I'll be shaking by about noon from all the coffee and we just have to start declining some of these, uh, some of these offers. But they're eager to give. Coffee is always served with some kind of food. You can't, culturally, you just can't serve coffee and not serve at least some bread or something with it. So these folks with very little are, are eager to give to me. Now listen, our, our impulse as Westerners is to say, you know what? No, let me buy the coffee. Let me buy the food. I'm going to run to the shop right now. I'm going to bring that stuff back here. I've learned uh, that that usually that's the wrong impulse, and the right impulse, the right thing to do, uh, and and really the most s- sincere gift that we can give them is to simply receive with thanksgiving. I'm I'm not above them as if there's nothing they can give to me, as if there's nothing that they can give that would enrich my life. They enrich my life deeply through their hospitality. And so it's, it's a great joy for me to receive with thanksgiving on a regular basis now in those situations. This affirms their dignity. Living in extreme poverty does nothing to eradicate the inherent dignity and beauty of people made in the image and likeness of God. This is evident in adults and children alike, but I'd say it's especially evident in the children uh, who may be living in the most deplorable conditions, but who always find ways to play, to giggle, uh, to find joy in the simple pleasures of life. Um, these children also have great hopes, great hopes for their future, a desire to learn, uh, to grow, to develop into everything God's created them to be. Uh, we mock them. We are in danger of mocking them and insulting their maker if we view them only through the lens of their poverty, as if that's their essence. No, their essence is a beautiful person made in the image and likeness of God. We mock them if we do for them what they could do for themselves, but because uh, we view them as helpless, because we view them as hopeless and incapable, we pick up the slack and we do it for them. The, The reason that we have such high hopes for the children we're serving in Africa, is because we believe they are made in the image and likeness of God with gifts, with abilities, with capabilities, with a a responsibility to cultivate those things and see them flourish. Uh, We believe that they are made in the image and likeness of God and the great and precious promises that are so precious to us that we hold on to for our own lives are also yes and amen for them in Christ. As they seek first the kingdom of God, He will provide for them all that they need. This is why we love to say that our goal in each child's life is to restore them to everything God has created them to be. We believe God has created them with a purpose and they are more than capable of realizing that purpose. Better stated, God is more than capable of realizing that purpose in them and He uses us to by His grace, to bring them the right motivation, to bring them uh, encouragement and strategic help. And this brings me to my third point, our implicit positive command. Honor God by being generous to the needy. 
Whoever oppresses a poor man insults his maker, but positively, he who is generous to the needy honors him. That is, honors his maker. Again, we need to ask the question, why? Why are we called to be generous to the needy? It, you know, it, it just seems obvious to us that that's a good thing. But again, these things haven't always been taken for granted. Why? Why are we called to be generous to the needy? Well, simply this. By being generous to the needy, we are honoring God whose image they bear. Rather than insulting the poor, rather than oppressing the, the weak, rather than mocking the needy, we honor God by being compassionate and generous toward them. When you are confronted with an opportunity to extend care to the needy, do you remember the Lord takes his treatment of his image bearers personally? Oh, we must remember that. And brothers and sisters, Jesus will speak in, in the most personal terms when he calls attention to these good works on the last day. In the parable of the sheep and the goats, Jesus envisioned the final judgment and said these words. Come, you who are blessed by my Father. Inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you drink? And when did we see you a stranger and welcome you or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick and in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them, truly, I say to you, as you did it to one of these, the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. It's essentially what the Lord is saying to us through our proverb this morning. What you've done to them, you've done to me. When you are generous to the needy, you are not merely being kind to your fellow man. You are honoring the one who made them in his image and likeness. And Jesus' parable here draws our attention as well to a perplexing and wonderful reality that we will contemplate and celebrate for all eternity. And that's this. The one who will reward us, the one who will say to us, inherit the kingdom prepared for you, is the very one who lifted us from the ashes and seated us with the princes. He's the very one who became poor so that we, by his poverty, might become rich. And it's his love for us when we were needy, when we were unlovely, when we were weak and powerless and could do nothing for ourselves. It's his love for us that fuels our love for others and gives us an overflowing desire to see all God's image bearers restored to everything he's created them to be. Again, from Tim Keller, to the degree that the gospel shapes your self-image, you will identify with those in need. You'll see their tattered clothes and think, all my righteousness is a filthy rag. But in Christ, we can be clothed with his robes of righteousness. In other words, when Christians who understand the gospel see a poor person, they realize they're looking into a mirror. 
as we imitate Jesus in the way we treat our fellow man. This is the the amazing reality. We honor our maker and we image forth the great redemptive work that God has done for us in Christ. It's it's an amazing thing that uh, we've had the privilege now of imitating Jesus in this way for 14 years in Covenant Mercies. We're about to turn 15 as an organization uh, next month. And I want to turn the corner at this point and begin to update you uh, on on the ministry and just kind of you know, give you some more information, and, and then I'll be happy to talk to you in the back afterwards. But again, our, our program uh, focuses mainly on the 1,200-plus children now who are in our sponsorship program. And uh, most of those children live within their extended families. And uh, through the years, we've been able to invest in them now for, for quite a while, some of them for quite a while. And it's a joy in this season of our life as a ministry to see some of our children graduating from the program, to see some of them uh, coming into their own as young adults, as young disciples of Christ. And, uh, and, and by the way, they're also well able to tell their own story, sometimes in English. Uh, our, this young lady from Maasai in Ethiopia actually gives hers in Amharic, the local language, which will be interpreted for us on this video. So, guys, you can go ahead and roll the video of Maasai's story. My name is Masai Ayele. I was born in Addis Ababa. I'm 17 years old. The reason we came to Covenant Mercies is because we were in trouble. My dad died and then my mom couldn't find a job. We didn't have anything in the house, so we left and went to the street. That's when Covenant Mercies found us. They helped me attend school. They got us to where we are now. Masai had a little fight with her mom. It was very, like, minor thing. And then uh, she said bad things about her mom, and then she was cursing her, she was feeling really bad, and then she left the house. When I got on the street, I couldn't find a place to spend the night. I stayed three weeks on the street, and then I found some girls, and they befriended me. And we begged people to give us money to pay for bed each night. Helena kept calling my mom, and she couldn't find me for a long time. So my mom came and found me where I used to live. She told me, Helena been looking for you. She wants to talk to you. So in our meeting, Masai was, she was, she was so stubborn. She said she doesn't want to. There is no need for her to talk to us, but she just simply came here to tell us that she don't want, she doesn't want to be part of the program. I told her, I want to get out of the sponsorship, delete my name. I was going to leave, and she said, okay, let's pray before you leave. But then I asked her if it's okay for us to pray, and then we prayed, and surprisingly, after the prayer, she was a different person. And then when I asked her to write her goals, the, the goals she was writing was completely different. Like she was saying she, she wants to 
go back to school, make peace with their mother, and then start old friendships with uh, healthy friends, and then uh, start studying hairstyling, which is her dream. Since I returned to the Lord, He has done a lot of great things in my life. I read my Bible, I go to church, and I attend some of the Bible classes. Those are great times. The Lord has done great things in my life. Now my relationship with my family is so much better than it was before. It's joyful. Before, we didn't have peace in the house. But now we all love each other and live together in peace. After I finish school, I want to help people who are like I used to be. What I want to say to my sponsors, I run out of words when I think about them. May God repay them. May God give them all kinds of good gifts. The Lord is great and He will do great things in my life. I know that. One of the things I love about that video, obviously, um, you know, you can you can see and taste uh, Messiah's gratitude to God and to those who've invested into her life. Um, I I love the opportunity I now have through videos like that to introduce you to some of our team members on the ground. So Helena, the program coordinator in Addis Ababa, there is just a godly woman who. Uh, I mean, talk about perseverance. She went after this young lady. She left the 99 to go after the one, and the Lord blessed that. Uh, even, even the testimony of prayer. She says, okay, you want to leave the program? Let's pray. They pray. The Holy Spirit comes, and this, this is a different girl. So praise God. Praise God. None of this happens, by the way, without somebody sponsoring that young lady for years. So praise God to each person. Each part, you know, think of the body of Christ, each part doing its work. Helena has an incredible role to play. That sponsor has a very meaningful role to play. None of this succeeds without all of that. Uh, well, as, as many of you know, Covenant Mercies has four program areas. Addis Ababa, Ethiopia is one of them. Uh, Ndola, Zambia is another one. And then we have two program areas in Uganda, both in very rural areas, one in the eastern part of the country and one uh, in a western village called Kiburara. And uh, this morning I want to introduce you to, to um, a young girl from our Kiburara program named Bridget. And I think uh, you're, you're about to see a slide of Bridget. This is Bridget circa 2008, shortly after she was first sponsored in our program. Um, 
Now, most people living in Kibura subsist off the land. Um, they live in small mud houses like, uh, like the one I think you're about to see here. Um, that's a very typical home in the Kibura area, very agrarian society. And these families have very little safety net uh, when tragedy strikes. So when HIV AIDS ravaged this area, as it's done in so many other parts of sub-Saharan Africa, uh, families were left to pick up the pieces in its wake. And when we first began working in Uganda in the early 2000s, we found elderly grandparents taking care of numerous children. We found widowed mothers uh, left to care for small children, even as they struggled with the devastating effects of HIV in their own bodies. And so when 11-year-old Bridget uh, first became part of our program there in Kibora, her family fit much of the profile I've just described. Her father had recently died of AIDS. Her mother, now the sole provider for Bridget and her brother, was HIV positive. With these seemingly insurmountable circumstances facing her, Bridget said recently of that time in her life, quote, I felt hopeless. I started to feel self-hatred and no, no hope for the future. Well, Bridget, like many of the children in our program, was trapped in a cycle of poverty, illness, Lack of resources and job skills, poor nutrition, uh, barriers to education, all of these circumstances conspiring to keep Bridget, her brother, and her mother trapped in this devastating situation. Well, we began Covenant Mercies for families such as this, and our goal is to break that cycle of poverty and to see children like Bridget restored to everything God's created them to be. Now, by God's grace, as I mentioned earlier, we now have over 1,200 children in our orphan sponsorship program. And today, these children are educated in vision. They're taught life skills and vocational skills. They're imparted with a worldview that upholds the values of productivity and hard work and self-sufficiency. Uh, we provide disease prevention, education. Uh, we provide medical treatment. And most importantly, we work in close partnership with indigenous churches and Christians who are eager to share the hope of the gospel of Jesus Christ with each and every child that we have the privilege to serve in our programs. Now, tragically, in spite of all this uh, investment into their lives, there are many factors that can still plunge a child back into poverty. And over the, so over the past several years, what we've recognized is that we need to invest into some large-scale uh, infrastructure projects beyond the day-to-day -day care uh, of the sponsorship program to develop the infrastructure necessary uh, to make our care for them most effective. And so I want to introduce you to just a couple of those projects that we've been investing in over the last couple of years as well. The first is in the area of health care. Uh, in the areas where we serve, especially those rural areas in Uganda, uh, it's a sad reality that children's lives can be disrupted or even lost due to preventable, uh, treatable, even, even fully curable diseases. When our children in those rural areas in Uganda get sick, we used to have to transport them 10, 20, maybe even 25 miles, depending on where they live, to government-run clinics. Clinics that are often understaffed and ill-equipped, so that just creates yet another obstacle to their health and, wealth and wellness. Even if we can get them there, uh, there may not be the staff ready to treat them. There may not be the medicines that they need. 
And so to address that situation, uh, several years ago, we launched our own medical clinic, just a little dedicated clinic for the children in our program and their families uh, in our rural eastern Uganda program. And after launching that clinic, we saw a 37% reduction in disease occurrence among our sponsored kids, some of those key diseases like malaria and and, uh, tuberculosis and other things that are in the area. Um, so about a year ago, we decided to launch a clinic in our, our rural Western Uganda program as well. This is where Bridget, who I was introducing you uh, to, comes from. Um, and so about a year ago, we, we decided to launch that visit. We made the investments into the uh, the office structure to, to create a, a clinic space. We equipped it with the, the uh, proper equipment that they need, uh, stocked a little pharmacy there, and hired a wonderful nurse. I'm happy to tell you uh, this past October, we actually opened that clinic, and we're now able to serve children in our program there. And and what this means is that over 350 sponsored children in that area, plus their guardians, will receive services from our wonderful new nurse, Lillian Charikunda. Lillian's a fabulous asset to our team out there now. And uh, now, I want to bring this back to, to Bridget's story, because Bridget is from this area, Kibora. Uh, her father died of AIDS. Her mother is HIV positive. The only thing keeping Bridget and her brother from even greater tragedy in their life is their mother's ability to fight this disease. And so with great effort, uh, we've been able to help Bridget's mother access that treatment through the years. Uh, we've done this by taking her to a clinic about an hour away on a monthly basis to get a checkup, to get her meds, and then to help her adhere to those uh, the, the, the medical programs, uh, the treatments. And this has kept her alive and healthy, and it's kept this family unit intact, and we thank God for that. But now with this clinic right there in Kibora, we'll be much better positioned to be able to care for uh, Bridget's mother and so many others like her. Healthy families can stay together. One thing we recognized very quickly was, all right, if if we have an HIV-positive mother um, and we're caring for her child, one of the best things we can do for her child is help that mother access treatment so that she can remain alive, so this family can remain intact. So healthy families can stay together. Healthy children then can stay in school. And Bridget has been able to thrive in her education through the years, um, despite these health issues in her family. And that brings me to the next major area of our infrastructure investments, which is education. Uh, in developing countries, the education system looks very different from our own. Um, I wish I could just put you all into a bus and just take you on a drive through some, some of our rural Ugandan village areas um, during school time. It is not uncommon to see a teacher outside with a classroom of kids under a tree because there may be a hundred kids and there's just not enough space in the classroom to fit them all. I think we actually have a photo of uh, that, that demonstrates one of those kind of scenes. It's not uncommon to see that. Now imagine as a teacher teaching a hundred kids how to read. Imagine having a hundred kids in your class and only a few textbooks to go around for all those children. These are the challenges of the education system in the countries where we serve, yet providing a quality education is absolutely essential to effectively breaking that cycle of poverty and restoring our children to everything God's created them to be, giving them the opportunity to cultivate those gifts that God's given them. 
Uh, and so that's why we've begun to make education a much more direct investment outside of our normal sponsorship program. We raise other funds to, to build schools, and we're actually building and developing our own schools in a couple of our different program areas. Uh, Lighthouse Christian School in Zambia. Has, has Will Broad come here and preached? Um, if, if these guys know Will Broad? Okay. CB knows Will Broad. He's been to Zambia and visited Will Broad Chanda, who's our primary partner there uh, in uh, Christ Community Church in Ndola, Zambia, by the way. Um, but uh, Will Broad and his wife, Zicky have started Lighthouse Christian School, and we partner with them to send most of our sponsored children in that area to this school. Um, this is a model for what we want to see in each of our program areas. And after over the last year, we focused uh, much of our efforts on building their second uh classroom building. So this is building number two. You can kind of see to the, the far right there a little bit of the, the first classroom building we built several years ago. As the school continued to expand, we were able to, to open up this building for the 2016 school year. And this past year, we were also able to celebrate with Lighthouse the 10th anniversary of working together. And so I was over there for the 10th anniversary celebration. That's me with Will Broad and Zicky Chanda, uh, the, the primary couple who we partner with there who have established this school. Um, what began 10 years ago uh, with one classroom of kindergartners now provides Christ-centered education for more than 250 um, sponsored kids in grades pre-K through 7. Um, <clears throat> You're, you're looking at some of those beautiful kids right there. Now think about this. Left alone, think about this as you look at those beautiful faces. Um, left alone, most of these kids would not have expected to finish high school. Many of them likely would have dropped out of school while they're still in primary school. Uh, that's, just, that's just par for the course, especially if you are a an orphan child who's been taken in by a family member who, who's probably struggling to provide for their own kids. Um, the, the, the other kids get the bottom of the barrel, even if they've been taken in by their family. Well, today, 15 years after our humble beginnings, we have dozens of children graduating from our program every year, either graduating from uh, grade 12 programs, graduating from vocational programs. Um, even more amazing, we now have students in greater and greater numbers who are equipped and envisioned to take the next step beyond high school. Uh, we have sponsored children who are eager to pursue higher education and university studies. And in the next few years, um, kind of looking at the demographics of, of our sponsored kids, we have about 250 sponsored kids who are going to graduate over the next couple of years from our K-12 and vocational programs. So with this coming wave of graduates in view, uh, last year we actually decided to establish a sponsorship, uh, I'm sorry, a scholarship fund uh, for higher education. We're calling it the Mapalo Scholarship Fund for Higher Education. Mapalo is a Bemba word, Bemba spoken in Zambia, uh, that means blessing. Um, and and uh, it's also... Um, it's also uh, used as a name, and it was the African name that we gave to my dear friend and brother David Sachs, uh, who many of you would remember from our Portraits of Hope events and even the True Africa book that we have copies of uh, back here at the table. So the Mapalo Scholarship Fund has just been established this past year. We set some funds aside for that, and we're, we're actually in the process of, of uh, formalizing the application forms, and we'll, we'll be getting them out to sponsored kids who graduate from high school with the aptitude to continue in university studies. The amazing thing is, for about $1,000 a year, we can fund that. 
So it goes beyond the norms of our sponsorship program, which is $35 a month. But if we can set some funds aside for this and, and provide those, uh, those tuition fees for kids who show the ability to continue, um, they'll be able to go to university, which, let me tell you, for kids who didn't expect to graduate from high school, that is an unimaginable dream. Um, and this thrills and excites me, not only for those kids in our uh, program right now, those who are about to graduate, but maybe even more so for the young ones who will replace them in our sponsorship program and who will grow up knowing that if they apply themselves, if they, uh, just as we've been talking about today, if they recognize that, that God has given them gifts, that they have a responsibility to cultivate and they work hard in school and they develop themselves in that way, that they will have the opportunity to go to university. Um, this is just the unimaginable dream. Now, remember Bridget. I want to bring it back to Bridget. Uh, remember the hopelessness and self-hatred that she described in that prior phase of her life before she was enrolled in the program after the loss of her father. Well, Bridget is one of those kids. She's actually on the front edge uh, of, of that unimaginable dream coming true. She is now enrolled in her first year at Chambogo University in Kampala. And I think we have a picture of her very proudly standing in front of the, uh, the sign of the university at the campus. Um, she's there pursuing a Bachelor of Arts in Education. Uh, imagine that, an opportunity for her to, to invest herself into the lives of young ones who are studying later. And we'll be able to see her all the way through, Lord willing, through the Mapalo Fund. Um, here's what Bridget has to say today. These are her words. I've just abridged them a bit. She says, by God's mercy, I have more hopes and I can see a future ahead of me. This once hopeless girl can't express the kind of happiness I feel whenever I wake up And remember that I am now in a good school at a recognized university in the nation. On the receipt of the news that Covenant Mercies was to pay all my tuition and scholastic materials, I was so glad and felt grateful to my God, Jehovah Jireh, my provider through Covenant Mercies. Bridget then goes on to to thank Covenant Mercies, her sponsors, and especially Pastor Moses Nkwatsibwe, who's the program coordinator of that. Uh, he oversees the team there at the, in, in Kibora. Um, and she says this. These are her words again. My special thanks go to Pastor Moses for having shared the gospel of Jesus Christ and led me to salvation on Wednesday, December 16th, 2015. I, that makes me smile every time she remembers that it was a Wednesday. Uh, I, I want to ask her, like, what time was it? But uh, <laughs> uh, December 16th, 2015, that I will never forget. Thank you for leading my life into long-lasting joy. I have seen God's great hand at work as my protector, provider, and hope day by day. Well, folks, if you would like to consider uh, investing into the life of a young lady like Bridget or Masai or so many others in our program, uh, we've got a sponsorship table program in the back here. There are actually profiles there of children who are available and in need of sponsors right now. I'll be standing back there uh, afterwards if you'd like to ask any questions or just take a look and, and see if there's a child there that maybe you would like to consider sponsoring. There are also those True Africa books and CDs back there as well that we, that we sell as just one means of, of raising funds. Uh, for the program. Well, if, if I could ask the band to return at this point, and as they're returning, um, I want to conclude 
maybe in a, a little bit of an unusual way, but I want to bring it back to the theme of our message this morning and conclude by reading a poem that I wrote uh, several years back. Um, I, I don't consider myself a poet. Um, every once in a while, I catch a wave of inspiration. And at that time, uh, I was ruminating a lot on this theme of the image of God and, and the children that we serve in our program. And I was also um, working with uh, a, another dear brother who's gone on to be with the Lord, uh, a jazz violinist named John Blake, who was taking uh, a lot of the, the, the traditional Negro spirituals and updating them in, in, in a jazz format. And we were talking about this spiritual called Hold On, uh, which is just about perseverance. And when we were talking about that, this idea for this poem just got inspired. And so I I wrote most of it on a a flight home from Africa several years ago. I have long trips, (laughs) but I'll read it now as a as a a poem and a prayer uh, for our children and for the guardians who lovingly care for them. When you've lost all faith in the Father above and your dreams disappeared with the ones that you love. When a broken down shanty is the only home you've ever known and you lay down at light night to the growl and the groan of a stomach so empty with a hunger so fierce, getting up in the morning seems a price too dear to give for the sweat and toil of the day. Is this your reward? Is this your pay? But the babies are crying with a noise so grim. You get up with the dawn. You get up for them. You can't read and learn, but maybe they will if you can just push them up to the crest of that hill. When your sole motivation is the need to survive, to reach another day is the fuel for your drive. When there's no higher purpose than remaining alive, hold on, there's hope. When you've lost all feeling in the soles of your feet because you walked all day in the sun-baked heat, no job, no work, the familiar refrain, so you dig in the garden and you pray for the rain. When you want to drink a water, but none can be found, except the parasitic mixture with the mud on the ground. When the curable kills and the treatable maims, and there ain't no remedy to relieve your pains. When you're thinking of doing what you know to be wrong, to put food on your table, to compose a new song, to make a new life, to write a new chapter. But there's snares on that road to the good thing you're after. When you think that road's the only one left, You defile yourself for that child on your breast. When every known path leads to misery and death, hold on, there is hope. When the roof overhead fails to keep out the rain and the rags on your shoulder whisper ridicule and shame. When the porridge doesn't reach the brim of your bowl and the ache give way to coldness in the depths of your soul. When your body's wasting and your spirit's numb, hold on with one hand, one finger, one thumb. Because poverty's a liar and despondency's a thief. Indignity gone walking on Dignity Street. You must push back. That ground did not surrender. There's no one who can take from you what God put at your center. When you're tempted to believe your lifelong lamentation proves beyond a doubt your lesser valuation. Remember, you're the image of the ruler of creation. Hold on. There's hope. But where will you look for this hope you seek to turn mourning into dancing, to bring joy from grief? Does your hope consist in material things, in houses and cars and diamonds and rings, in pleasures designed to comfort the creature? You know in your spirit there's something much deeper. Your hope is found in the hands that made your frame in love 
and willingly paid the debt to redeem a sin-wrecked world through perfection of suffering that yielded a pearl. You will lay down all for this pearl of great price. You will rise from the depths and reach for the heights. You will walk and not faint. With the strong you will run. You will feast at the table, but now you've but a crumb. Now look to the hills from whence your help comes. Hold on. There's hope. There's love. There's joy in the morning. Hold on. Amen. close us in prayer in just a moment, but I want to read a verse that Doug referenced just a little while ago in the message. It's from 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though He was rich, yet for your sake He became poor, so that you, by His poverty, might become rich. I was marveling as Doug was preaching that we have a God who entered into poverty. The richest of beings entered into poverty in order to save the souls of those who believe in Jesus Christ, His Son. What an awesome God. And for those of you in this room who maybe have never trusted in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, I want to urge you to do so at this time. Like Bridget, turn to the Lord and be saved. Believe in Him. Stop living for the world and for sin and turn and tell God you're sorry and He will receive you. His shed blood will cleanse you. I can testify to that as the vilest sinner here who has been saved by amazing grace. We want to see every one of you saved and a Christian. Turn to Christ while there's still time, my friend. And Christ Community Church, I was just so moved. You are a church of believers in Christ and you are a church of doers. I was just swelling with pride the healthy pride during the service of so many instances of love and acts of generosity that just overflow out from our midst. It, it's I, I couldn't even name them all. And just thinking about how not only do you believe, but you back up your belief with action. And I am so proud. I know I'm speaking for Ben and John as well. We are so proud to be your pastors. I'm so honored to be in a church like this that it's filled with believers and doers for Christ. Doug, thank you for your example. Thank you for... I, I, church, I was just crying my way through those stories. I'm sure many of you can testify that you were experiencing the same thing. I, we were witnessing the power of Christ to change somebody's entire life, to save their soul, but also to save their earthly lives, to be used greatly for His glory by the power of Christ and by the generosity of the church, let us be inspired. Let us be inspired. Perhaps some of you, you your heart was moved and 
want to encourage you to, 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 to look at the table back there for Covenant Mercies and pray about sponsoring a child for 35 hours a month like Doug was saying or uh, look through the, uh, the book that Doug was talking about. It could help support Covenant Mercies in some way. My family and I bought one of those books. It is a beautiful book that my kids just keep looking through again and again with just the best of photography and understanding Africa and its beauty. But we have an opportunity here, and I want to let you know, Ben, John, and I, we're always very conscious of this. We, we're in the midst of a building fund. We're in the midst of a Croatia church plant where, again, last week, the money we had hoped for to make sure Mario and Jen are well supplied for it was well surpassed in the check that we just sent them, thanks to you. It's been like that all year. Our, like Ben said earlier, our building fund keeps getting supplied, and you keep supplying the general offering of our church to abundance, even in the time of great need, you just continue to pour out generosity. We were very understanding of that and very sympathetic to that. And this opportunity is just another opportunity to consider, but we know just out of the overflow of your heart, there's so much that you long to do. And we want to put these opportunities before you to pray for, because there's an entire world it is lost and dying and in need of a Savior. And so enjoy as you look back there and pray through that. And uh, I just want to close in prayer and just lift up praise to our awesome God for how awesome He is. Let, let's pray together. God, I thank You so much for entering into poverty. Jesus, how can we thank You enough for shedding Your blood for wretched sinners like us? to wash away our sins. Jesus, thank you for your perfect sinless life and the righteousness that you have earned, that you have given to us. You have clothed us with robes of righteousness, though we were naked spiritually. We had nothing. We were barren. We had nothing. We were lifeless. And you came and you have clothed us. You have given us life. We are so glad to be saved. We're so glad to be Christians. There's nothing like it in the whole world. We're so glad that you have laid down your life for us. We want to, in this short earthly life that we have to live, we want to give you our all. We want to reach, to do as much as we possibly can do this side of heaven for your glory. We know very soon we'll be in heaven with you and the days of rest will forever be in front of us. But these are the days of labor. These are the days to do. These are the days to work hard for your kingdom. And I pray that you would make us even more and more into a church of strong believers and strong doers for your glory. And I thank you for all that you've done in our midst. And we pray that you would generously supply everything that we need in order that we might be a blessing to others. And we lift all of this up to you and to say, thank you, God. Thank you, God, for being such an awesome and merciful God to us. We love you, Lord. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much, church, for your love for Christ. Have a great rest of your day. Can we thank Doug? And uh, thank you so much, brother, for inspiring us like that. And enjoy the Covenant Mercies table. Have a wonderful day. God bless you.